So we are continuing on in our series through the book of Mark. We're going through the book of Mark this summer. Uh, And last week, uh, we left the shore to follow Jesus. Um, We discovered last week that Jesus has all authority over nature. Uh, We looked at uh, Jesus was on the hillside teaching about the kingdom of God using parables uh, to the people, and then uh, he told the disciples, okay, it's time to go, let's get into the boat, and we've got to go on mission. And so they got into the boat, and they uh, experienced a storm. Remember, Jesus was asleep at the bottom of the boat. The disciples freaked out. They woke Jesus up, said, what are you doing sleeping? And Jesus stands up, and he calms the winds and the waves, and he says, why do you guys have such little faith? And then the, uh, through that action, he demonstrates to the disciples that he has all authority over nature And today we're going to pick up where we left off in the story, and they're now going to be at the other side of the lake. And if you thought that they were going to have a little bit of a breather and some time to rest, and maybe there wouldn't be any more obstacles coming, well, think again, because as soon as they hit the shore, there's going to be another obstacle. Um, You know, when we we get off the shore uh, to go and get in the boat and follow Jesus, we're joining him on a crash collision with Satan, with our enemy, and the demonic, because Jesus said, or the Bible says in 1 John 3.18, that uh, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And so we're going to see that right here. We're going to be in Mark chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles on the front, or on the tables in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to take one of those home with you. Uh, Mark is the second book in the New Testament. It's after Matthew, and it's before Luke. Uh, so it's going to be about three quarters of the way through the Bible like this. You need help finding it. Mark chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 1. And I'll go ahead and give you guys a couple of moments to flip there, and it'll also be on the screen behind me as well. All right. Here's God's word. And they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart. He broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So right here, we see a case, an extreme example of Satan's destructive activity in the life of people. I want to point out a couple of things. Notice it says that often he'd been bound with shackles and chains. So clearly people had tried to deal with this man, so they couldn't. And so they had essentially driven him out of society and said, since this guy's such a problem and we don't know how to deal with him, we're just going to make him out of sight, out of mind. We'll just put our problems outside the city. It also says that uh, no one could bind him anymore, which tells me that at one point they could, so his, his situation had gotten worse. It had deteriorated. And then we see that no one had the strength to subdue him. Nobody could help this man. There was not a single person that could help him. He was in a hopeless situation. Now, you might not think that you've got much in common with this man uh, who is often called the demoniac. Uh, when people refer to this story, you might not think you have much in common with this man. After all, you're not crazy, or so you say. But you have more in common with him than you think. 
Um, before we really jump into this story, I want to I point out a couple of things. I want to talk about what, what does Satan do? Who is Satan and what does Satan do? So there's two works of Satan, two main things that Satan does that I want to point out. Number one is that Satan destroys. And uh, Satan uh, specifically destroys God's creation and especially people who are made in God's image. John chapter 10 verses 10, verse 10 says, uh, Jesus says, the enemy or the thief comes only to, to steal, kill, and destroy. And he loves to destroy people made in God's image. We see this happening to the man in Mark chapter 5. Just look at some of the things that's happening. That he's in the tombs, right? There's a lot of death. We see the word tomb three times just in those first five verses. He's cutting himself. He's separated from society. And these demonic forces are actively trying to destroy this man. And Satan is actively trying to destroy you too. He does that by tempting people to rebel against God, to tempting people to sin, which leads to brokenness, and ultimately that leads to death. He destroys families. He destroys societies. He destroys self-esteem and self-worth. He destroys people's bodies. He destroys nations by convincing them to join him in rebelling against God and against God's design. In the garden, Satan, as the serpent, tempted Eve and Adam and Eve to do things their way and to ignore God's commands. So they disobeyed God. They did their own thing. And this is sin. And this sin led to death and separation from God. But not only does Satan destroy, but the Bible also tells us that he blinds people. Satan blinds people. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 Verses 3 and 4 says this. It's going to be on the screen behind me. It says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So Satan blinds people with all types of things. He blinds people with sin, with distractions, with basically anything that he can to take our minds and our eyes off of God and away from the only one who can actually set us free. And that's the reason that people can live in a world where a thousand different miracles are happening all around us at once, like your body. I mean, you just think about what it takes for your body to keep operating the way that it does. Your body is made up of billions of cells. Your heart continues to beat. You continue to draw breath your organs continue to work at just the right pace. And we don't think about it that often, but there's miracles happening every second just to keep us alive. Or how about the fact that, whoops, my notes are gone. Or how about the fact that, um, you think about the, the world around us. I was reading earlier that the sun rotates, or, or the globe rotates around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour. We're moving at a speed of 67,000 miles an hour right now. And the earth itself, it spins as well. So not only are we orbiting around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour, but the earth is also spinning at about 1,000 miles an hour. Isn't that incredible? I mean, that's happening right now. And yet we rarely think about that, do we? Because Satan blinds our minds. He blinds us. I'm going to have to pull up my notes because I totally lost them, guys. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to pull them up on my phone. They didn't pull up on my laptop. So I'm going to open up Google Drive while you guys sit there on my phone. 
so that I've got them. All right. Thank goodness for Google Drive. This will be interesting. All right. So when I look at the demoniac in Mark chapter 5, I see an extreme example of what's happening in all of our lives, okay? Now, I know none of you guys are out in the cemetery late at night running around and cutting yourself with stones and things like that. I understand that. But the reality is, is that Satan's trying to destroy each and every one of us. And we see an extreme example of this in this man here in Mark chapter 5. And he had tried everything. People had tried everything that they could do to help this man, but his condition had only gotten worse. Maybe that sounds familiar to some of you. Maybe you've tried everything to fix the brokenness in your life, or maybe there was a time at one point in time in your life where you tried everything and you kept coming up empty. I know there was a time in my life where I turned to things like alcohol and turning to people, uh, other people for acceptance and, and to sex and things like that to fill my life, but I only became more enslaved and like the demoniac, there was nothing that anybody could do to help me. So the question that we have here is, is there any hope? Because the reality is, is we need a Savior. If we can't help ourselves and there's nobody else that can help us, then we need somebody who can. So is there a Savior who can help us? Well, let's keep reading to find out. Let's pick up in verse 6. And when he saw Jesus from afar... He ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. And so he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and drowned into the sea. Where we are unable, Jesus, with a simple word, with a simple command, commanded the evil spirits, and they obeyed him. Look at the demons' reactions to Jesus, a couple of things. Number one, they, they fell down at Jesus' feet. As soon as Jesus hits the shore, this man comes rushing over to him and falls at his feet. They also acknowledge Jesus as son of the Most High God. They begged Jesus, and they even asked him for permission. They knew that they had to do exactly what Jesus commanded them to do. It's funny, as I was looking at this, it, it occurred to me that demons know what so many people refuse to acknowledge, that Jesus is king with absolute authority. This was a formidable enemy. Uh, Jesus asked, what is your name? And the demons reply, Legion. Legion was a unit of, uh, a military unit in the Roman army, up to 6,000 soldiers. This is not, so the text is not saying here, trying to tell you exactly how many demons were in the man. It basically is trying to say it's a lot, right? There were a lot. So this man had a lot of issues in his life. And Satan had a stranglehold on him to the point where he was in a desperate situation. So a way we could think about this guy is think about the person in your life or maybe the person that you don't even know but you see him on the street and you're like, if there's anybody that it's never going to change, it's that guy or it's that girl. 
If there's anybody that I just don't see any way out for them, it's that person. Well, that's the demoniac that we're looking at here in this story. There's a guy named John Newton. Uh, He made a living in the 1700s by transporting slaves from Africa to the West Indies. And uh, he had a rough childhood, uh, and he took his anger out on the slaves. Uh, He once said, uh, he said, I sinned with a high hand, and I made it my study to tempt and seduce others. John Newton stood by and participated in the harsh treatment of slaves on these slave ships. Uh, He would beat them, ridicule them, and treat them as lesser people. But one fateful voyage, uh, on their way back, they were off the coast of Ireland, and they encountered a dangerous storm. And there was a dangerous storm, and it was to the point where the ship began to take on water, and they thought that they were going to die. And at that moment, John Newton had a revelation, and he cried out to God, and he realized that he needed help. And so John Newton cried out to God, and that started a relationship with God through Jesus. And from that day forward, John Newton's life began to change as he gave his life to Jesus and he began to follow him. Years later, Newton would join forces with a guy named William Wilberforce. You may have heard of William Wilberforce. And they combined forces to end the slave trade in England. But Newton is even more famous for writing this song. And you probably recognize these lyrics. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. That was John Newton, who was a ruthless slave trader at one point in his life. In our own strength, we're unable to contend with Satan. We're unable to help ourselves out of the, of the oppression of Satan, and we're unable to help others. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says this, says, you were dead, and this is Paul writing to Christians. He says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. The prince of the power of the air is another word for Satan. He says, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, unable to raise ourselves up. We were blindly following Satan and doing his bidding. Like John Newton, we're blind. But in Mark 5, we see Jesus flexing his muscles, and he announced that his kingdom had come. The power that is is greater than the power of death has arrived. See, Jesus went to the cross, and he defeated Satan once and for all on the cross. And he rose from the dead, reversing the effects that Satan had wrought. On us. Colossians 2.15 says this, it says, In this way he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. See, Satan came to destroy people made in God's image by tempting them to sin, which, was, which ultimately led to death. But Jesus came to defeat sin and Satan on the cross and reverse the effects of sin by overcoming death in his resurrection. Because of this, God's people have the authority to overcome Satan in Jesus' name. Now, there's mixed reactions to this. There's mixed reactions when Jesus shows up on the scene. And we're going to see that in the last part of this story in verses 14 to 20. Listen to what it says. It says, The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. 
And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. So not everyone was happy about this demoniac's deliverance that day or the presence of Jesus. You notice something ironic. Jesus told the demons to leave and then the townspeople told Jesus to leave. Sadly, it's not much different today. Many people reject Jesus. And some of you here today will reject Jesus. You want to keep him at arm's length. You're fine hearing stories about him, but you don't want him getting too close. You don't don't want him messing with your herd of pigs. You don't want him getting too close to your life. Those who reject Jesus remain blind, unable, and unwilling to contend with the darkness. John chapter 3, verses 19 to 21, Jesus says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may, may be clearly seen that his, work, that his works have been carried out in God. My question to you today is, how are you going to react to the light? Are you going to flee from the light? Are you going to tell Jesus to leave the region? Jesus, I don't want you getting too close. I don't want you really messing with my life. Or are you going to come to the light? Jesus died to take your punishment and your place. Don't reject his grace this morning. Everyone who rejects Jesus will be separated from God forever in hell. But let me tell you, this is not God's will. This is not God's will. That's your choice. It's your choice to reject Jesus. Because you chose sin over God. So I plead with you today, God has given you another chance. And he's given you a decision this morning. You can come to Jesus this morning. You can come to the light this morning and be forgiven of your sins. Those who come to Jesus have their eyes opened, and they're able and willing and unafraid to contend with the darkness. And you see, when we place our trust in the light, not only does he deliver us from Satan, but he sends us out to go and to rescue other people. And that's exactly what Jesus did with this demoniac here. You see that in verses 18 to 20. If you are in Christ because Jesus is able and willing and unafraid, To contend with darkness, you can be too. And here's why. Romans chapter 8 verse 11 says that the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same Spirit, the same Jesus who encountered this demoniac in Mark chapter 5 and delivered this man from a legion of demons, that same Spirit dwells in you if you're a Christian, if you have placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Here's the main point of this message today, if I could sum it up in one sentence. Jesus has authority 
to deliver the least of these from Satan so that they can go and tell the rest of those. Jesus has authority to, re- to deliver the least of these so that they can go and tell the rest of those. So I want to finish our time together, the last part of this message, by asking what does this look like publicly? What does it look like or personally to go and rescue the rest of those? There's three main things. First of all, we need to pray expectantly for the oppressed. See, before we were unable to help ourselves or to help other people, but now we are able in Jesus' name. You might not know how to deliver the homeless or the mentally ill or the addict, but Jesus does. In Matthew chapter 17, verses 19 and 20, the disciples were with Jesus and they went and they tried to cast out a demon of a man and they couldn't do it. Listen to the exchange they have in Matthew 17, 19 and 20. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. We've got to stop prejudging who can be saved, who can be delivered, and who can't. Many people ask why we don't see God do miraculous signs today like we see in the Bible. And we hear stories about these things from missionaries that come back from overseas, or maybe we read stories about it in the Bible, and we wonder why we don't see more things like this in North America. And I'm convinced that we don't see it because we don't expect it. We don't expect it. We don't actually believe that God will deliver the mentally ill today or that God can transform the life of an addict today. So we don't even bother. In Matthew 13, 58, Jesus left his hometown and Matthew tells us why. It says that he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. I believe that passage is prophetic for us today. I believe if you want to ask the question, why don't we see God move in power the way that we see him do so in other parts of the world, the way that we read about in the Bible, I think it's because, in large part, of our unbelief, because we don't expect God to move in power. We'll only see God's power to the degree that we expect God to move in power. So who are the people in your life that you'd never expect to actually change, that you don't think would ever actually come to Jesus. Luke 10, 19, Jesus says this to his disciples, and this goes not just for his disciples then, it goes for all of us here, if you're in Christ. He said, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Now, listen to me. Don't take that verse. There's some people in the backwoods of Kentucky that take that verse and they start thinking that, okay, that means we can handle venomous snakes. That's not what Jesus is talking about there. So don't leave church today and go buy a venomous snake and start playing with it and say, Pastor Jared said so at the sermon. That's not what I'm talking about. Okay, serpents and scorpions, that's another way that those were common um, analogies for Satan. Okay, so when Jesus says, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, he's talking about Satan. He's saying, because I have authority over Satan, if you are in me, if my spirit dwells in you, you have authority over Satan. 
So guys, because of that, it's time for Christians to stop acting defeated. Paul told the Roman church, he said in Romans 16, 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. It's time to believe that and pray expectantly. We just finished up 10 days of prayer as a church last Tuesday. For 10 days in a row, a lot of people from our church, we met for one hour every night to pray and plead with God to pour his spirit out on us, to pray for our city, to pray that God would begin to reverse the effects of of the brokenness that we see all around us. We've got a lot of people in our city that are hurting, a lot of people that have been ravaged by the enemy, a lot of people who are maybe in similar situations to this demoniac in Mark chapter 5, and we believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that Jesus is able and willing to deliver those people today, just like we saw in this passage. And so we met together to pray in faith, asking God to begin to move. We're asking God to see more lighthouses in downtown. We're asking God to see a lighthouse even down by the corral. We've been going down there on Friday nights and sharing the gospel with people and passing out water late on Friday nights because we believe that God wants to, to deliver these people. Another way that you can participate in that is uh, the announcement I made earlier on Sundays, uh, the last Sunday of every month, we meet for corporate prayer as a church. And that's a time for us to get together and pray expectantly for God to move in, in the lives of our families and on our, on our streets with our neighbors and in our city with the people downtown. I hope you'll join us for that. So we need to pray expectantly for the oppressed. And secondly, we need to go to the oppressed. It's not enough just to pray for people and then wash our hands of it and expect somebody else to go to them and meet their needs. We need to go to the oppressed. See, before we were unwilling, but now because Jesus is willing, Christians should be and they will be willing to go to the oppressed. Jesus said in Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And then in John chapter 20, verse 21, he said, that, he said to his disciples, he said, just as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. So the church picked up where Jesus left off. When Jesus ascended into heaven and he told the disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, he said, okay, church, it's your time now. You are to continue what I've started. I'm going to send the promised Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus. I'm going to send him to you. And the Spirit of Jesus fell on the church at Pentecost. And we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. And now it's our role to continue what Jesus started. And Jesus went to the oppressed. And we must do the same. Not only does God command us to go to the oppressed and and to the downtrodden, but he changes our hearts And he makes us willing to do so by his spirit. Romans 5.5 says that God has poured his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We should cultivate this. We should pray for this in our lives. If you can pass by the demoniacs, the people like the demoniacs, the homeless, the mentally ill, the addict, and and you can feel unwilling to do anything to help them, ask yourself why. Ask yourself why you're unbothered by that, why you feel unmoved by that. And then pray and ask God to change your heart and to help you see people the way that he sees people. He saw people with compassion. And we need to cultivate that same thing in our life. One of the ways that we can go to the oppressed is to show selfless hospitality. 
And this is one of our values as a church. You see our values up there on the banner. Selfless hospitality is a value of ours. And one of the ways we demonstrate that is that nobody has to check their brokenness at the door before they come to Fellowship Oshawa. Selfless hospitality means welcoming people and loving them with no strings attached. Just loving them because they're human beings made in God's image. That's it. Listen to this quote from Peyton Jones. Uh, Peyton Jones is a church planter in California. It'll be on the screen behind me. Here's what it says. He says, if our first question when a sinner walks through the door is, are you going to stop your bad behavior? We become like spiritual TSA agents, erecting metal detectors and demanding that they empty their pockets of everything sinful before we let them through. In contrast, Jesus invited scandalous sinners to follow him. And as they followed him, Jesus began to change them. So no, Jesus does not leave people in their sin. If you decide to follow Jesus, no, Jesus is not going to leave you in your sin. Sin leads to death. It's rebellion against God. He will change you. But he changes people as they follow him. He doesn't expect people to clean up before they come to him. And so we shouldn't expect people to clean up their act before they come to Jesus either. What about you? What about your life? Do you find that you're judgmental of others who partake in particular sins that are maybe worse in your eyes than others? I'm not advocating participating with the world and living like the world. I'm talking about being a light in the world. Sinners flocked to Jesus for two reasons, okay? Number one, they knew that Jesus would welcome them. And number two, they knew that Jesus could change them. That's why sinners came to Jesus. And that should be what our church is about as well. Sinners should flock to this church because they know, number one, they're going to be welcomed no matter what, no matter where they're at. And number two, they know that we worship a God who has the power to transform their lives and get them out of brokenness and change them. So let's demonstrate the same selfless hospitality so we can bring the oppressed to Jesus. Another way that we can go to the oppressed is to get out of our safe spaces. To go to the oppressed, you also have to leave your safe space, all right? That means that you can't avoid the places where the broken people are. I see this a lot with the church, okay? It's, it's really easy to kind of get in our Christian bubbles, right? To live in our safe neighborhoods, to stay in our, to go to the safe parts of town, and to avoid the people that might be kind of like this demoniac. Maybe they're a nuisance. Maybe it's a hassle to try to reach them. And we just tend to avoid people like that. But if we're going to go to the oppressed, then we can't keep avoiding the oppressed. We have a vision at Fellowship Oshawa of 30 lights. We have lighthouses here because we believe that it's not enough just to have a service on Sunday morning. So our strategy is not to sit up, set up shop here on Sundays and stick a welcome sign out front and expect people to come here. Because we know that the majority of our city is not going to do that. So we've got to go to them. So we have a vision for 30 lights, 30 lighthouses scattered all throughout South Oshawa that are like outposts, okay? We want a lighthouse in every area of Oshawa, a group of believers that meets throughout the week that's actually going out and serving the needs of the people around them, that's actually taking responsibility for their neighborhood, for their block, and going and sharing the gospel and bringing the hope of the gospel telling people about the one who has the power to deliver them from Satan. That's one of the ways that as, as a church we go to the oppressed. 
There's lots of opportunities for you to apply this personally coming up as well. As I mentioned earlier on Saturdays, um, or on Friday nights, we go to the corral every other week just to hand out water bottles. So if some of you are feeling froggy and you're feeling adventurous and you want to come with us one night, on a Friday night, we go out there at about midnight and we hang out for two hours and we just hand out free water to people and we ask them if we can pray for them. And we have some amazing conversations and usually some pretty funny conversations too because you'll run into some really, really drunk people. And that's okay. We still love them. Uh, but we've had some incredible conversations and we get to share the gospel a lot. And it's amazing. Almost every single person that we hand a bottle of water to, their first question is, why are you doing this? And we're able to share with them why. Well, because we care about people. And we want people to know that Jesus loves them. Another opportunity is that on Saturdays, starting on July 1st, Saturday mornings, we're going to be going to the Tim Hortons downtown. And we're going to be buying people coffee and breakfast. We're just going to buy them coffee and breakfast. And if they want to sit down and have breakfast with us, we're going to do that as a way to get to know people. One of our prayers is that we can have a lighthouse started right there at that Tim Hortons in downtown Oshawa. And uh, another opportunity that I think is pretty cool, on July 20th, this is still a way out, but we're going to be doing something called Dinner with a Stranger. And what we're going to do is we're going to go out and we're going to pair up in downtown Oshawa and we're going to arm everybody with $20 gift cards to a restaurant or, or a place to eat downtown. And your task will be to go and invite somebody take, and ask somebody, are you hungry? And if they're hungry, say, let us take you out to eat. And take somebody out to eat, somebody who's homeless, somebody who's hungry, and just talk with them. Just get to know them. Share the love of God with them. So these are several opportunities that we have, and we want to, so basically what we're doing is we're trying to, like, take away all the excuses. So if you thought you were going to get out of this, sorry, you're probably not. So we just want to provide multiple opportunities for us as a church to get out there and truly go to the oppressed and actually help people. You know, I, I hear all the time, guys, you know, we, I've shared the gospel hundreds, if not maybe a thousand times since we've been here. And one of the things I hear over and over again is I hear people are open to God. People are open to Jesus, but they're anti-church. Does anybody, does that resonate? Would you guys agree with that sentiment that there's a lot of people that are kind of anti-church in our area? I think that's true, not just here, but I think it's even true in a lot of places in the states. And, I mean, we've got to take responsibility for some of that. It's not all the church's fault. There's some great churches doing great things. But a large part of that is because people see people going, people in our community see people going to church, but they're not living like Jesus. They're not actually loving the community. They're not actually reaching people. And so people don't see the love of Jesus demonstrated. And so for them, church has nothing for them. There's nothing life-giving about church. And we want to change people's perspective on that. We want to change people's perspective on that. So we want to pray for the oppressed, go to the oppressed. And finally, we want to send out the restored oppressed for God's glory. Jesus trusted this man, this demoniac, who moments before was literally crazy, like demon-possessed. He trusted him with the good news of the gospel, and Jesus sent him to the Decapolis to share all that Jesus had done for him. God loves to work in the lives of people who are weak and foolish in the eyes of the world, because then there's no doubt who gets the credit. God does. The oppressed, the notorious sinners, the demoniacs, those are the people that are God's plan to advance his kingdom. His plan is not the sharp-dressed preacher with the doctorate degree. That's rarely his plan. 
His plan is usually the bum on the bench or the autistic woman that lives down the street from you or the addict in detox. If someone would have told you 15 years ago that Joshua Harris was God's plan to reach hundreds of men, you probably wouldn't have believed them if you knew Joshua Harris. Joshua was a cocaine addict, a violent man who neglected and abused his family. He had no interest in God, never even gave God a thought. But God had an interest in Joshua. And in a hotel room one night at his wit's end, Joshua tried to commit suicide by taking enough cocaine to to kill five people. But he didn't die. And so in desperation at around two or three in the morning, late at night, Joshua cried out, if you're not going to let me die, then show me what to do. And God saved Joshua that night and ended up, long story short, bringing Joshua into contact with a Christian men's home for guys that struggle with drugs and alcohol. And Joshua became a follower of Jesus. He completely restored Joshua's life. And Joshua went on to start a men's home of his own, a Christ-centered home that reaches out to men who struggle with drugs and alcohol and life hurts so that he could help other broken men find freedom in Jesus Christ. And at that men's home that he started, he met a young and broken man named Jared Huntley, and he showed me how to follow Jesus. Guys, Jesus delivers the least of these so that they can go and tell the rest of those. I'm one of the rest of those. Jesus delivered a coke addict who was hopeless so that that coke addict could be redeemed and restored and then go and teach another hopeless guy, me, how I could be redeemed and restored and set free from Satan's bondage in my life. Do you see how God's plan is right out there in our city already? And we talk about revival a lot, but sometimes I wonder, are we really ready for it? Are we really ready for revival? Because if we are, it's going to mean believing that Jesus can actually deliver the oppressed and then acting on it. It's going to mean believing Romans chapter 16, verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. It means going to the guy passed out drunk on the bench downtown and in faith believing that God can redeem his life. It's in faith going to the dark places with the dirty people and believing that Jesus can and will make them clean. Guys, the sinners in Oshawa are God's plan for revival, and we've got to go out to get them. We don't need famous speakers or flashier worship services. We need the power of God to transform sinners into disciples. So Satan has wreaked havoc on our city, but God loves the schwa. He does. God loves the schwa, and Satan's days are numbered, church. Satan's days are numbered because Jesus has all authority over the devil. And it's time for Christ followers to start acting like it. Let's go make disciples of the oppressed for Jesus' glory. We're going to close with a time of discussion. So if you've never been with us before, what we do is after the sermon, we've got a couple of discussion questions up on the screen So I just want you to get with your tables, and I want you guys to discuss what we're going to do in response to the passage that we heard today, the message that we heard. We'll take about seven or eight minutes to discuss these questions, and then we'll close out with our closing song. So go ahead and get with your tables now.